1: Ladies and gentlemen, tonight, the reigning, defending, the defending, the defending, 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 undisputed, universal heavyweight champion. Wildcat Radio 2.0. Bear down, you beautiful people. What's up, everybody? It's Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Berry. And, well, last week, Brett, we were hoping that this would be a Final Four preview show. And the fact that we're recording it on March 31st, I think, speaks to the idea that it is not a Final Four preview show because we don't care about what happens in the Final Four anymore. Arizona lost to Houston in the Sweet 16. And what was a magical season has come to an end.
2: On the plus side, Adam... Uh, my birthday party was not ruined by Arizona losing in the Elite Eight. So personally, yeah. I'll take that as a win.
1: There you go. I mean, it's. <laughs> I, I, but doesn't that kind of speak to like, Arizona has had some very crushing losses in the tournament. Most tournament losses are crushing, right? Especially when you're a one or a two seed, one team that could win a national championship. This one never felt that way to me. And I don't know if it's because the season was just so much fun and it felt like it was they were playing with house money or the fact that the Sweet 16 game wasn't particularly close and competitive, at least in a way where you thought Arizona was going to win this game, probably about midway through the second half, you knew they weren't going to win the game. Or the fact that, like, yeah, like Houston was a 5 seed, but we knew they weren't a 5 seed. This was just like, a, all right, they lost. It,
2: it sucks, but it happened. I mean, the advanced analytics had Arizona as the underdog, right? We... The, Houston was a team that we've talked about would be the one that could beat Arizona. And I don't necessarily think Houston played their greatest game possible. I think they just played well and didn't, you know, put Arizona on its heels. And Arizona was too slow to adjust to a more physical type of defense that I was hopeful that they would learn from the uh, the TCU game, but they, they couldn't quite pull, uh, pull it together to, to put up much of a fight against Houston.
1: Yeah, well, there were a couple times in the second half, especially early on, where it looked like Arizona was making that run, and we both knew like the second half was going to be key, and Arizona got within two, I think two missed a layup, and then Houston would go down and make a three. Arizona got within two again, They, I think an offensive foul on Dalen Terry or something, Houston goes down and makes a three. It seemed like every time Arizona started to look like Arizona – Houston made a 3, which is, yeah, they made 9 of 23s against Arizona. Of course, they made 1 of 20 against Villanova two days later because that's the NCAA tournament for you. But just Houston played a solid game. To your point, Brett, Houston played a solid basketball game. They didn't do anything wrong. They didn't hurt themselves. They rebounded as well as you thought they would. But it wasn't like they crushed Arizona on the boards. Arizona had more offensive rebounds even than Houston did. Houston made 23 of 50 shots, so they shot a little bit better than they normally do, and they made the 9 of 23s. That's better than their averages. Conversely, Arizona played a bad game. Arizona did not shoot the ball well, only made 7 of 22 threes, made 18 of 54 shots. And credit to Houston, their defense is really good. But Arizona also missed some shots that, you know what, like, I think I tweeted, like, Houston didn't make it easy on Arizona, but Arizona missed some pretty good looks still.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think Arizona's big guys especially struggled to adjust. Uh, Azulis, Tabellis, let's, you know, just... He he had a clunker of a game. He was not ready for the physicality. He he wasn't finishing through contact. He wasn't aggressive. I think he went, ended up with two points. Um, it was just a tough matchup for Arizona. Even Omar Ballo, who's a big guy, you would think can handle some of the physicality, like didn't know how to deal with the athleticism a little bit and kind of the the constant barrage of pressure. Um, but Arizona still got some shots. And to your point, they just didn't go down. I think I think you retweeted something where it was like the shot quality should have shown that in a normal uh, shooting percentage, Arizona would have won the game. Which which, I don't
1: know if that's advanced analytics. That's just, you know, a way of looking at it. But watching the game, like Arizona wasn't the dominant team. We've seen them dominate opponents this season. They clearly weren't doing that. But similar to the TCU game, it never felt like they were truly out of it. They just couldn't get back into it. (laughs) You know, it's like, it just, it's like, okay, just go on that run. And they started having a couple times, like I said, and then they'd miss a shot. They'd turn the ball over and Houston came back and made the shot. It's, and that's the way it goes sometimes. Obviously, you don't want to happen in the Sweet 16, the NCAA tournament. But I, there's a lot of people who thought like two got exposed. I mean, he had a bad game. The question is, like, where was his mind? Um, where's his ankle, where's his health and all that? And just, yeah, was he not ready for the physicality? Because sometimes people like, they just do this to Arizona. I know Kelvin Sampson came out and said, like, they did a certain defense. Like, it doesn't seem that simple to me because if that's all it takes, you'd think someone else would have tried it and had success with it. <laughs> like, even TCU, who played well, Arizona still dropped 85 points in that game. The guy went to overtime, but the offense looked better. Now, Houston's a better team than TCU. But this idea that people throwing that Arizona was scared. Yeah, I don't think they were scared that they were maybe intimidated by the bright lights. Yeah. I don't, I don't buy that either, but they did play a bad game, and sometimes that happens. You know, there doesn't, have yeah. to be no, no, there doesn't have to be a specific reason to say, oh, well, that's why they lost the game. You know, They were scared, or that's why they lost the game. They were intimidated by the scene. It was the Sweet 16. They played an overtime game against TCU a week before. I feel like any nerves, any type of bright lights, and they played big games this season too, and they have a roster filled with guys who have played in big games. like That I don't buy, but I do buy the fact that they just played a team that was tough and discipline and didn't make things easy on the Wildcats and the Wildcats didn't play well enough to overcome it. That I'll buy.
2: Yeah, I, I don't think it had anything to do with nerves or, you know, being scared or anything like that in so much as I think they were just on their heels by the nature of the way Houston played an aggressive, attacking, suffocating defense that bluntly the Pac-12 conference didn't afford uh, experiences for this roster to face. And guys like Azulas Tubelas. He's still relatively young, is a 100%, you know, finesse uh, face-up four that doesn't particularly shoot jumpers that well. So he's trying to finesse his way and, and drive around guys and, and score in transition. And if you get people catching the ball, moving away from the basket, if you, don't, if you don't have the ability to get even a half step on those guys and they play good team defense, I think that's what shows up in Arizona stats where they, you know, had a... Uh, uh, assist to turnover ratio, less than one, which is very rare for them. They're usually around one and a half or they're playing really well, even a two to one, mm-hmm. you know, the shooting percentage was terrible. Just the assist of only getting 12 is kind of unheard of for an Arizona. But game. it speaks to how this game went. Yeah. I mean, if you don't make shots and you, and you're struggling to score the ball and you're struggling to facilitate ball movement, even when they were trying to do some, you know, a couple of games back, uh, I think I tweeted out where I get frustrated with how Arizona's players don't, uh, The guards don't know how to make sure that the screens set on ball actually clip the defender. (laughs) Like they leave too much gap there. Houston exploited that dramatically. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, an an inferior team and a more poorly coached team, uh, you know, won't expose won't expose that the way Houston did. And and Houston is both of those things. They don't necessarily have you know a ton of NBA talent, but they have some pretty significant athletes with some good experience, and they're well coached. And it's, you know, a a team that is generally a finesse team got knocked on their heels and they were never quite able to recover from that. And and here we are.
1: Yeah. And I commented, I think, a couple of pods ago, too, or one of the pods, I know I said it, was that Arizona early on seemed like a front running type team. You know, when things went well, their confidence rose. Obviously, it's it's easy to be confident when you're making shots, when you're dunking all over opponents. It's like, yeah, we can do this. They never got into that groove in this game because they never led. They, every time they started to do anything right, something went wrong. And we hadn't seen that much from them this season. And it kind of leads me to believe that, I mean, yes, there's improvements they can make. Like Kirk Crease, his ankle, how much of an issue it was, we don't know. But they need strong point guard play. like Or better play. I mean, he shot one of seven in this game. I don't blame him. He had four rebounds, one assist because no one was making shots. Uh, ben Matherin, who's not going to be coming back, I assume, next season. He had a rough game, and they needed him to be a superstar in this game. He was just fine. You know, I don't blame him. He was taking good looks. He couldn't get anything to fall. Daylon Terry played really well. He had a really good turn. Even Coloco wasn't really that big of much of a presence in this game. Just Arizona couldn't get much going. And you know, going forward with this team... A lot of people say it it seems like not as much of an upset as a one losing to a five should have been, right? Most people are going to say, okay, yeah, well, that wasn't necessarily unexpected, especially by the analytics. And the question is, how does Arizona get to be a number one seed that should win this game? And on the one hand, you could just say maybe experience. Like, this is still a roster that hadn't been in but that's what goes like to the bright lights the moment, or just experience against a team like Houston. Just most of these guys hadn't played a single tournament game. Most of them had two tournament games under their belt before they faced Houston. So... You know, Kirk Kreese didn't even play much in his freshman season. Played, what, five games? So there's a lot of these guys, you could say, hey, they run it back next year, mostly the same roster. They'll have that experience. They're going to be the team that everyone's gunning for. They're going to everyone's best shot once again. They'll be more steel. They'll be more hardened when they get to March Madness, which that could be it. Or maybe they need to bring in some talent, maybe a little bit more athleticism at the guard positions on the wings or something like... As this team goes forward, they finished 33-4 this year, right? They won the Pac-12. They won the Pac-12 tournament. They won the Roman Invitational in Vegas. They earned a one-seat. Tommy Lloyd's Coach of the Year for everybody. Ben Matherin was Pac-12 player of the year. All these things went well, and yet Arizona needs to find another gear to have that March success. Brett, as you look at this program, obviously we both feel really good about the program, especially compared to maybe last year and the year before, but just what does this program need? Like what is missing to get them to that next level?
2: I'm going to simplify it and say what I kind of harp on regularly. They need, they need another uh, dog or two. I thought you were going to say depth,
1: but I guess that's for football.
2: I mean, it kind it kind of is because <laughs> like, even in this game against Houston, Kirk Carissa, let's be real is probably the worst talented starter on Arizona's team. Right. But I think he's the emotional leader and he got in foul trouble against Houston. And when they're on their heels, you need somebody that has that, that, you know, that dog mentality that, and that, that, gives this Arizona team its swagger. They didn't have that swagger this entire game and part of that is when Kirk Carisa only gets to play nine nineteen minutes because he has you know, he's in foul trouble the whole game.
1: He also made one shot again. When he's making threes it's a lot it's a lot easier to have swagger when you're making shots. Yeah,
2: but the, the thing, Kurt Carissa, love him or hate him, he has swagger whether he's making the shots or not, and he's going <laughs> to be, he's not going to be, he's not going to back down from somebody, and he's going to go stick his nose in there that not everybody on this roster necessarily does that, and I think there's some guys that are okay at that, but you need somebody that's the, emo- you know, you need some more emotional leader uh, leadership and a little more, especially maybe that in the front court, I think got exposed the most, uh, where you could have used, even if you have somebody that's a little bit more of, just a straight up enforcer you know the you know somebody that has or somebody that somebody that can have some well-rounded skills that doesn't even necessarily need to be the best player on the court but can make that you know finesse team hard to beat you know the the, the obvious answer that i always think of for this is draymond green right he's the guy that makes he would the help Warriors. them yes I think. well a guy, a guy like draymond <laughs> green you know the war if, if you were just going against steph curry in the nba you could you could physical out physical guys and Knock a finesse team off its off its uh off its game a little bit, but if you have some guys that are you know Draymond Green's or when Andre Iguodala was uh, playing for the Warriors, that's when they were pretty much unbeatable, right? Because you have some balance there. You have some guys that have that 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 athleticism, that swagger, that physical toughness, and and know their role on the team. I think that that would be helpful on this still relatively young team. Um, you know that's I don't know if that's a, a transfer portal or what. But, you know, something there, uh, just adding a little bit more, that little more physical toughness and that, that dog leader kind of mentality, I think, would be the thing that separates Arizona from being, uh, you know, the Gonzaga clone that loses in big games.
1: I mean, people say that Gonzaga's been how many national championship games? Like, it's hard to win the oh, no, NCAA tournament. and
2: It is, but what type of team tends to beat them? Right, it's the team that out physicals them and out toughs them, and and if they get knocked out, if you're a finesse team and you get knocked out of your out of your uh, balance, then you, you need to find a way to be able to get back to that. And to me, that's physical toughness and and that kind of leadership.
1: It's tough to build those teams that also have the skill. Right, that's what makes college basketball so difficult. Is that to find a guy who is six eight can shoot the ball athletic, and is tough. Like, that's hard. And Sean Miller dealt with that too, right? His early teams probably had more toughness, and they did get kind of far. That, that second team he had made it to the Elite Eight, but they also had Derek Williams, who was just a superstar at the time. This team, I, you're right. Like they, They could present themselves as tough when things are going well. You know, they would flex. They would show those things. They would bully teams. And I'm convinced if they would have played Gonzaga this season, they would have bullied Gonzaga. Just Arizona's bigs would have had great success against Gonzaga. But, of course, like it might be Arizona's backcourt. And granted, Matherin did not have a great game. He didn't. He was kind of like the X factor for this team, the guy that could always get his shot off, could get to the bucket, could draw fouls. He wasn't that guy against Houston, and it happens. Like It's a lot to put on one player to say, you have to carry us again. Right, He did for a TCU game. To ask of it again, that wouldn't have been fair, but he was their expert. He's that guy that really could get them going, who could you know, stem a tide, you know, stop that run from Houston, or get Arizona the bucket that they needed. They didn't have that. Daylan Terry had a very good game. He showed a lot, but he's not like that tough, tough guy. He's just that Swiss Army knife type of player. Very valuable. I think he comes back next season. I do, which is a start. You know, you, you look at what this team has, and I think that's way, when we see what they need, it begins with what they lose, and they're going to lose Justin Kyer to graduation, and I assume Ben Matherin to the draft. Um, after that, I would expect Coloco and Terry to test the waters, but I imagine either one of them gets the first-round grade that they'd be looking for. Maybe Coloco would go, or maybe he just comes back for his senior season and says, let's finish this, right? And assuming that, let's just say best-case scenario, Matherin and Kyra are the only rotation losses for this team. You know, maybe like a Shane Noel transfers or someone you know deeper on the bench. decides they want to go get more minutes elsewhere, it's a really good start. <laughs> oh yeah, Kirk Reese is a junior now with experience. Pella Larson, who I think is low key gonna be one of their best players next season. By the way, like he came off the bench this year was a sixth man of the year. Had his what was like a broken foot or something or broken leg he was recovering from to start the season. It is. It seems like there's nothing he can't do on a basketball court. And he does kind of have that, that calmness, but I think he has a toughness to his game that'll be very yeah. valuable, especially if Matherin or when Matherin goes pro. I assume Pelo is going to step into the starting lineup for this team. But even to Bellis, like he just needs to grow and learn to play against certain types of players. But this is a very, very talented team that would just have to replace its all Pac-12, you know, its Pac-12 Player of the Year uh, guard. But if everyone else comes back then yeah the transfer portal will probably be really good to them and they can kind of plug and play because we talked all year Brett about how at least to start the year when it came to recruiting well let Tommy Lloyd show what he can do as a head coach at Arizona and trust that people will come well you know now he's shown for the course of a season that you can come to Arizona you can win big you get a one seed and I can get you to the NBA Ben Matherin went from probably a fringe draft pick to a lottery pick this season so who would not want to play in that offense so let's take a break and we come back. We're going to have a lot of these same questions and some more questions with Justin Spears of the Arizona Daily Star because he was covering the Arizona Wildcats basketball team's tournament run. So let's hear it from him. Welcome back, Wildcat Radio 2.0. And as promised, we are joined by Justin Spears, who has many titles. He works for the Arizona Daily Star, the Wildcaster, Spears and Ali on ESPN Radio down in Tucson. Justin, I know you were in San Antonio with the Wildcats, but welcome back to Wildcat Radio 2.0. Hey
0: guys, it's been way too long. I I think the last time I talked to you guys was during football season. It was right in the middle of the Jed Fish's uh, first year at Arizona, so it's good to hear from you guys.
1: Yeah, and needless to say, um, basketball season went better than football season did. A few more wins than Jed Fish accumulated, of course. The way it ended, a lot of people are very optimistic about Fish, but we're going to stick with men's basketball here. And You know, you were in San Antonio, and I feel like we were all disappointed Arizona lost that game to Houston. Not necessarily surprised that they lost to Houston, but Brett and I were just talking about, like, what went wrong. And, like, I'm not big on the they were intimidated by the bright lights. I'm not big on the they were scared. I'm just on the they played a bad game against a team, a good team that played a solid game. Like, what's your perspective on what happened to Arizona in that game?
0: Yeah, I don't think the the lights were too bright for Arizona. I mean, you could say that because it was their first time going to the NCAA tournament. I mean, not as a program. We know as a program, especially, I mean, we're recording this on the 25th anniversary of the 1997 championship, that this program has gone to the NCAA tournament many, many times. But this group specifically, uh, I mean, outside of Umar Bala, who was sitting on the bench during Gonzaga's run last year, nobody has played in an NCAA tournament game. Tommy Lloyd has never been a head coach before, so this was his Uh, first go around as a head coach in the NCAA tournament. But I don't think it was a big moment for them. Uh, I just think that they got bogged down. Uh, They were fatigued. And not everybody was clicking on all cylinders like they were a few weeks prior. I mean, you look at that game against TCU and something seemed off, right? Kirk Crease's ankle was 100%. So he wasn't really, you know, penetrating. He was just kind of hugging the three-point line a very one-dimensional player, and he wasn't really driving too much to the basket during the season, but you could just tell that that ankle was really bothering him. And then you add in Azulus Tubelis. He's an All-Pac-12 forward, and he didn't play like it in the NCAA tournament. Against TCU, he was 2-for-7. Against Houston, he was 0-for-8 from the field, so that's combined 2-for-15. That's not the kind of production you need from your All-Pac-12 forward. Umar Balo, I thought, kind of took a little step back during the NCAA tournament. Um, everybody, collectively as a group, Arizona, it wasn't the group that we saw, let's say, in the Pac-12 tournament or even in that first half against USC. We saw Arizona's best is the best in college basketball. They just didn't have it against TCU, but they got lucky against the Horn Frogs. And then Houston, they looked at TCU's blueprint and said, oh, you're a physical team that does a great job offensive rebounding. Well, that's our forte. We're, like, number one in college basketball at that. So we'll take that blueprint, we'll master it, and we'll beat Arizona. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened.
2: So, Justin, you talked a bit about how, you know, going into this tournament, basically everyone on this roster had no experience in March. And Tommy Lloyd, as a coach, had never had experience in March. Uh, in reality, he had never had experience as a head coach, and that was a big unknown coming into the season. When you look back uh, on on Tommy Lloyd's first season as a as a first year head coach, what's your what's your general impression of him? And has he proven himself as an in game uh, coach yes. or as a manager of players in your eyes? Um, I think
0: that this was a perfect storm for Tommy Lloyd. He inherited the starting five that Sean Miller left behind him, and then he was able to kind of put his flavor to the bench by getting Pella Larson from Utah, Umar Bala from Gonzaga, and then getting a graduate transfer like uh, Justin Kier. Um But I think that the, Tommy Lloyd in year one, job well done. I mean, I give this season a solid A, even though they lost in the Sweet 16. I know Arizona fans are clamoring for that Final Four. They haven't been there in 21 years. But nobody was expecting Tommy Lloyd to, to have this kind of season. I mean, he was... Arizona was preseason picked to finish fourth in the conference, tied with Oregon State. Oregon <laughs> State had three wins to spend the regular season, while Arizona had three losses. So, um, you know, completely different seasons between the, the Wildcats and the Beavers, but for Arizona, they smashed expectations. Um, they beat UCLA twice this year, once at McHale Center after losing to the Bruins and then in the, in the Pac-12 tournament championship. And I think that Tommy Lloyd has shown that he is the right man for the job and that he is a perfect head coach because he's willing to kind of take what the other team is giving him, understand, okay, this is the adjustments that we need to make, and then they'll adjust. I almost kind of compare Tommy Lloyd to this great defensive boxer. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure that Arizona was purposely trying to get down in games a lot this year. But more so than not, you saw Arizona get down early in a game, and then they would put together a run, come back, and then put teams away. It's kind of like that boxer, those first couple rounds that really, mm-hmm. you know, feels out their opponent, and then they run away with the game. And, I, you know, I don't want to make this as, you know, let's, let's criticize Sean Miller, but you guys know about that pack line defense. And you guys know how much that that man loved the pack line defense. And so many times... You would see it in the tournament. I mean, I remember when Oregon did it in Eugene in 2017. That you catch teams on a good night, you gotta start pressing on them on the three-point line. You gotta adjust your style of defense. You gotta be able to throw anything at them to make them uncomfortable. And I think Sean Miller, while he was known for his tough, hard-nosed Big East East Coast style defense, anytime teams would get hot from beyond the arc, I mean, that was it for Arizona. Mm And I would see so many times, like, for instance, the Pac-12 tournament championship game, right? You're without your starting point guard. The the guy who is replacing your starting point guard gets into foul trouble. Arizona goes down by double digits. How many times, under Sean Miller, would we have seen the Wildcats just say, okay, you know what? It's the Pac-12 tournament championship. Let's just pack things up and let's get ready for the NCAA tournament. But that team rallied back and they fought, and that is – pretty much a sign of the leader himself and Tommy Lloyd it all starts at the top and this year's team I mean they were so fun to watch they had a lot of grit and I think it was just a big part of Tommy Lloyd selling himself and selling his brand of basketball to these guys
2: yeah I'd, I'd be interested to hear your perspective because I think you talked about Tommy Lloyd as kind of that defensive boxer and it kind of was reflected in his offensive philosophy where it's like move the ball quickly and take what the the you know the defense gives you but sometimes I think he was also willing to put himself out there in some strategic things with lineup th- changes. And would you have yeah. like you know would you have ever thought uh, in a million years that we'd see as many minutes of uh, Umar Ballo and Christian Coloco on the court at the same time, for example?
0: <laughs> well, and especially in big games like that UCLA game at McHale Center, was it the final eight minutes or so? It was the, the front court of Christian Coloco and Umar Ballo, mm-hmm. uh, and you know Tubelis was dealing with with his ankle injury and, you know, some other guys, you know, you know we getting into foul trouble and we all thought, well, Tommy Lloyd's this fast up-tempo guy, he's just going to roll with his best players available. And I mean, if that means having a guy like a uh, Pella Larson play, then so be it. But he put it in a front court of Umar Balo and Christian Coloco, two seven footers. If you told me, uh, you know, Is that going to happen at the start of the season, like against a team like UCLA? I would have said no way. Uh, But that's just Tommy Lloyd getting the guys that he has, developing them, and then getting them into position to where in case push comes to shove and you need to make those lineup adjustments to where you could throw any guy out, they're going to be ready to go. And another classic example of that is, you know, having a guy like Adama Ball. You know, he was kind of a guy that nobody really remembered or, I mean, he came in later in the season like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that guy. He's that that 6'6 French kid uh, who's a freshman, and he had a pivotal role um, in the Pac-12 tournament. So these guys, I mean, all the lineups that Tommy Lloyd has thrown out, he's shown that he can adapt to any style that is thrown at him, but you know, he has the collection of guys that he wants and needs to be successful at Arizona.
1: And that kind of makes me, I think, supremely confident in this program's future. And I think part of why Wildcats fans are probably disappointed, but they're not distraught over the season ending like it did because I remember Sean Miller, his second season, they get to the Elite Eight, and it kind of was a springboard for a really good run over the next half decade or so. Yeah. Lloyd does this in year one, and a lot of the concerns, like there's no reason to think that he will not get this team back. He will not get this program back because you look at – all the questions one might have had about him were answered. If you're a player, like maybe feel like, what does a big man do in his offense? Well, Christian Coloco was amazing, right? You know, or can someone be a star in this songs? Well, Ben Matherin turned turn himself into a lottery pick. It seems like for the program's future, this season couldn't have gone any better. Like, yes, you could w- make the Final Four, win a national championship, reach the top of the mountain in year one. Great, but Arizona basketball, I feel like this season, for all the things you guys are talking about, all the things we talked about, even too, is that they're back, and this season. Yeah reaffirmed that it solidified that that Arizona basketball you know they're going to be up there with UCLA and Oregon competing for the Pac-12 sure all the time but Arizona basketball is here and Arizona basketball should be here to stay is that kind of the impression because like everything that could have gone right seemingly did for what Tommy Lloyd needed to do to reestablish Arizona
0: and i think you know, this season was a perfect uh, sales pitch for some high profile recruits you know people always wonder well Tommy Lloyd you know, yeah, he was a solid coach at Gonzaga, was a great assistant, but is he going to be able to recruit Arizona Uh, uh you know, and compete with the UCLA's and all these other schools? Well, now you get a point guard in Kyle Boswell, who's a five-star recruit coming in. You have Dylan Anderson, a four-star guy, who's a two-time Arizona Gatorade player of the year coming in. That's a, r- a really solid recruit. And you have the transfer portal market.
1: And you had I mean, K.J. The, the Lewis top. too, right? Like another oh, guy, yeah. K.J. Lewis,
0: yeah. Yeah, he was a part of the 2023 class? Um, Who's you know familiar with Tucson, Arizona, and you know he's a guy that's you know going to be a great player um, at the U of A. But you have these great, talented players already lining up at the door to play for your system, and maybe one could question, well, yeah, you get the the right talent of guys, and I mean, but how many times have we seen a lot of talented players come in? And it resulted in a first round exit in the NCAA tournament, Mm -hmm. you know, a short postseason run. I think what Tommy Lloyd's, you know, pitches and again, it's year one. We've already seen what they could do under him. They go to the sweet 16. But Tommy Lloyd, we we all talk about him being this this guy who is an advocate for selfless basketball, being this this, you know, a, a a brand of basketball that's not about one individual player. It's about a team. It's about sharing the love everybody eats, but even though everybody thrives in Tommy Lloyd's system, if you do your role and do it well, that you, you can become a lottery pick like a Ben Mather. And so, you know, you Tommy Lloyd can use this year is like, okay, well everybody got theirs. Everybody statistically did awesome in my system but I was also able to get Ben Matherin over the edge and get him into lottery status, potentially even a top-five pick. I mean, Christian Coloco, well, where were we talking about him at the start of this year? We were like, be, oh, well, yeah. To
1: be they, fair, Brad and I were talk- talking about him. Brad and I were on the Coloco train for a while now. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> I, thought, I thought that Christian Coloco was a guy that was going to be maybe an all-Pac-12 defensive team selection. Mm. Maybe like a, a finalist for Pac-12 defensive player of the year. I didn't think we'd see him being this all Pac-12 player. I didn't think we'd see him, you know, tying Lauren Woods's uh, single season shot block record. Um, and now we're talking about Christian Coloco potentially even being a first round draft pick. Uh, so this year's collection of players, the success that they had, Tommy Loy can take it to all these great recruits and say, yes, you're a talented player. We promote this selfless brand of basketball, but we can also get you to the next level. Look at what I did with Ben Mather and Christian Coloco.
2: Yeah, to that point, Justin, you know, getting talent in is, is one thing. Getting the most out of it and winning with it is something different. So, I guess I'll have a two-part question for you here. Uh, have you ever seen an Arizona Wildcats team with more in-season development than this year's roster? Uh, and, and is that a result of tommy lloyd or is that a result of the players themselves
0: man that's a, that's a tough one because i mean the one season that comes to mind for me is the one that you brought up uh, sean miller's second season I, I mean we all knew that derrick williams was going to be this fantastic player but i mean do we think that he was going to be the best player in college basketball i mean i didn't sure. think so um I mean, Jesse Perry kind of turned into that pit bull power forward that Arizona really needed. Um, you know, we all know about Kyle Fogg and, and Kevin Perham and all those guys. Uh Momo Jones was so awesome that year. But yeah, I mean that's I don't outside of that year, I can't recall a time where we just saw every single player just get better. Uh, and that's and that's from top to bottom. Like I mean, I brought up Adama Ball. He only played it felt like like 20 minutes total this year, and he astronomically got better. He looks like a star;
1: like he's going to be you know? like junior year. That guy's going to be unreal. It looks like.
2: Oh, for sure. We're um, looking at Ubal, uh, Look at Balo from the beginning of the season to the end. Granted, he had a couple clunkers at the end, but his development in season was insane.
0: <laughs> yeah, he went from being like almost like a Kirill, not Yashko type of player because he was like a big body, and he would come in. And it would look like it it, it would hurt for him to run off the court. Like it took a lot out of him to get up and down the court. And I remember watching him during red blue game and during those exhibition matchups, like, Oh man, I'm not really sure like how big of a role he's going to have with this year's team. And then it's like slowly, but surely he's turning into this dominant player and his conditioning is better. I mean, he's dunking on people and he's having fun in the games and, then you look at, like, okay, maybe it's not that big of a loss if Christian Coloco does decide to go to the NBA. Because if he goes to the league, then you have Umar Balo sliding into that, that starting center spot, and he's an absolute force. I mean, he's getting, you know, minutes in crunch time against UCLA. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and you also add in Pelle Larson. I mean, he's, he was still one of the top three-point shooters in the Pac-12 this year. Daylon Terry was the all-time glue guy that we've been talking about, you know, all season long. And, you know, what's so crazy in any time we talk about a great Arizona basketball team like this, we always end it with, okay, but man, they're going to lose, you know, four or five guys, and there's going to be a complete overhaul of players. But don't worry, we got this great recruiting class coming in. And then you're relying on 18, 19-year-olds in the NCAA tournament. I think the system that Tommy Lloyd has in place now is perfect because then you're going to get Azulis to come back for his junior season. You might even get Christian Coloco to come back. Dale and Terry is probably going to come back. Kirk Creasa is definitely going to come back. And so you're not relying on a bunch of freshmen anymore. I mean, this year, Adama Ball was the only freshman they played. And I think that's a big reason why you saw Arizona become a number one seed and be dominant all throughout the year. There There wasn't really any growing pains with this year's team. And I think now moving forward you're going to see Tommy Lloyd start to rely on those second- to third-year players, um, and, and I think this thing is really going to take off for the Wildcats.
1: Yeah, we're joined by Justin Spears, Arizona Daily Star, the Wildcats wrap Tucson Star, uh, Spears and Ali, ESPN Radio down in Tucson, pretty much everywhere. If it's Arizona Wildcats, he's the guy to talk to. He covers it all. One of the hardest-working guys in journalism. But I think that's one of the things, too, where this program, it's – It's such a unique position for Arizona basketball, at least recent Arizona basketball history, right? With a team that – like this roster largely was second-year guys, second- and third-year guys. It wasn't relying on star freshmen. Next year's roster won't either. And the recruiting class, if a Christian Coloco does go pro, and if he does, great. Good luck to him. You know, he deserves a chance to go play professional basketball. Whoever goes pro, fine. But you don't feel worried about replacing them because the transfer portal, the connections to the overseas recruiting that Arizona has especially now, and the recruits that they have coming in, it feels like a reloading and what I'm interested in is what a Tommy Lloyd roster is going to look like. Now granted, it probably looks a lot like this, one that he would recruit. Let's be honest here. But yeah. most of these guys weren't his recruits and what he was able to do to get them to stay, to thrive in his system, is just such a signal to everyone else that come here, play, and also if you want to stick around, hey, Dale Terry, if you want to come back for your junior year you're gonna have a more prominent role and then you can get drafted like there's no reason to think that coming back won't hurt any of these guys' chances based on what happened this year but that's just it's just such a weird position to be in I think for Arizona basketball it's unfamiliar territory to say you know what next year they'll have that experienced team they'll have a starting yeah. lineup that mostly played in tournament games last season that's gone through the rigors of a Pac-12 schedule and instead of being the young team that they were this season they'll be an experienced team next season and yep. that's got to be in their minds. I know you guys talked to some of the players afterwards about where they're going to come back, and no one ever says they're leaving after their tournament loss. Like I, The first person says, yeah, I'm out of here. That like The next person will be the first, I think. But you do get the impression that not many of these guys are planning on going. Now, anything could change. Transfer Portal and Pros are Alex calling on every one of these. But it certainly feels like there's not going to be too many big surprises, and if that doesn't happen, this team is so well set up for the future.
0: Yeah, if you... I mean, my realistic view on next year's roster, I think guaranteed Ben Matherin is gone. Right? If he's looking at potentially making anywhere from three to five million oh, dollars go. Go. next season, he's he's coming back. We um can pass hard the
2: hat for name image likeness we can
0: mention. <laughs> <laughs> Well I think Tommy Lloyd's like, No man, you, you gotta get out of here. Go go make your money. You're gonna be a top ten pick for sure. So we're looking at the two guarantees being Ben Mathurin and Justin Kair, because Justin Kier is a graduate transfer. So that leaves us with, okay, well, what about Christian Coloco? And here's the one thing that works in Arizona's favor to get those guys to come back. Now that international guys can make money off NIL, do you Did they change promote that? that? Is that a yeah. change? Because I know it wasn't yeah.
1: the case before. Okay, that's big. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that.
0: So that's so that's that's a new change. Uh Dalen Terry even said it uh, during the tournament. He's like, Yeah, now that international players can make NIL money, you know, this is a good time for, for Ben to build up his brand and, and whatnot. So I think now that international guys can make NIL money, maybe do you approach a guy like Christian Coloco and say, Listen, I know money's kind of a, a big thing right now. But I just want you to know that regardless of what you do, regardless of the decision you make, you're going to have money in your pocket. So you can come back to Arizona, we can maybe give you an NIL deal, and then you can play your way into lottery status make even more money than what you're supposed to make if you turn pro this year. Or you could turn pro, maybe become a late first round pick, second round pick, and then gamble on yourself, but you're still going to be making some money. Yeah. Um, so, th- so this is a, a good problem for Christian Coloco. Cause he's like, at the end of the day, I'm going to have money next year and I'm going to be able to provide for my family. But this is the, the, the new wave of college athletics. This is something that Arizona can leverage for those fringe players and say, Hey, we can have an NIL deal in place. We can help you get these NIL endorsements and then you can improve your NBA draft status. We saw in so many years prior where, so many players would just get that 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 little friend, that little buddy, somebody in the ear telling them, "Hey, I saw this mock track. You could be going, you know, this round." You know, they get all this, all these people, all this noise, and they're telling them that they're going to go. And they think about being the provider for their family, so they mm-hmm. see dollar signs, and then they go to the NBA, which I can't totally knock them. But how many times have we seen fringe guys end up leaving? <laughs> Marcus Williams, <laughs> Chance Comanche, Grant uh, Jerry, Kobe like, Simmons, the list, yeah. The list goes on and on. Now Arizona could say, we got NIL, stick around for another year or two, to improve your draft status.
1: Well, and it's a fun system to be in, too. right? Like I don't think players particularly hated playing for Sean Miller, because I know there's more players love him. But it seems like Tommy Lloyd's system is a lot easier to be like, you know what? This is, this is fun basketball. I like my teammates. And he's also it seems like he's going to be recruiting a certain type of player, which I think is probably where Sean Miller strayed. You know, he stopped kind of going for his type of player. He started trying to get the most talented guys he could. So, you know, I, I think I can speak for all Wildcats fans, including Brett here, too, that we say, you know what? It's better to win a tournament than not. But at the end of the day, when you look back on the 2021-2022 season, it very much surpassed expectations. And it's hard not to feel excited as... I'll get up for the future, and the immediate future, not just like, oh, yeah, three, four years down the road, because this team wasn't supposed to be that good. And then you start adding more talent. And I'm, you know, if Christian Coloco decides to go pro, the transfer portal's right there. If there's going to be a big man who fits this system who we'll say, you know what? I'll take that spot. You know? And when Ben Matherin goes pros, Pell Larson could step right in and be like, yeah, yep. and Dale and Terry could get more shots and everything. Like just It seems like a, such a system, and Tommy Lloyd seems like the type of coach where, I mean, maybe it's dumb luck for Arizona that they were to get him when they did. But I know there are a lot of doubts this time about a year ago is when they hired him, give or take, and people were like, eh, Tommy Lloyd, well, best-case scenario was this, and it's just the beginning. <laughs> like, that's yeah. such, I, th- I mean, that's the vibe that we have here. That's how we're kind of talking on the show, and I imagine that's your perspective too.
0: Yeah, the man is only 47 years old. He is, he is a young guy. And you know what? Tommy Lloyd is a man that's not going anywhere anytime soon because he is a guy that loves high-profile basketball, but he also loves himself a small town. And that's why Tucson, Arizona, the University of Arizona, is a perfect program for him uh, because he gets to live in a community like Tucson, Arizona, where it's not Podunk, but it's still you know a, a small town vibe, but it still has a million people, and people love their Arizona basketball team, and they still get to compete for national championships. So Tommy Lloyd, unless Gonzaga, you know, at some point down the road when when Mark Few decides to hang it up and Gonzaga comes to Tommy Lloyd with a blank checkbook and says, "Hey, the program's yours," uh, I don't think I don't envision Tommy Lloyd ever leaving arizona for another job and i think he's here to stay and you know what i think the, the his brand of basketball and the play the, the type of players that he's going to attract and the culture that he's establishing i mean I, I i know that a lot of people said this about sean miller and his tenure but you know something feels a little bit different about tommy lloyd and i think uh when it's all said and done when he's all done at arizona uh, we can be talking about a championship or two
1: yeah, that's music to everyone's ears. Justin Spears, you can find him on Twitter, at Justin Esports. You can find his byline on the Arizona Daily Star at Tucson Star at the Wildcaster. What do you have coming up? Anything you want to plug before we let you go here?
0: Yeah, so we're back uh, on the air. So if you're in the Tucson area or if you're out of town, you can listen on ESPNTucson.com. But if you're in town, 1490 AM, 1049 FM, uh, my guy Ali and I, uh, we're just you know getting ready for the NFL draft. Of course, NBA playoffs is approaching with the Phoenix suns. And, uh, so it's, there's, uh, no shortage of content plus at the Arizona daily star it's spring sports season. So you have, uh, both baseball and softball. Let's see if the the softball team can kind of get out of their, uh, recent slump, but there's still a lot of content that we're pumping out. And, uh, if you want to get the Arizona daily star sports content for free without paying a dime or subscribing, uh, you could download the Wildcaster app off the App Store in Google Play. It's a pretty cool app for all Arizona fans. So
1: there you thanks go. for having
0: me on, guys. Yeah. Appreciate you.
1: Thank you, Justin Spears. We'll catch up with you down the road. Absolutely. All right. And that's Justin Spears, Arizona Daily Star. And we come back, spring sports in a mailbag. We're back. And thanks again to Justin Spears for giving us his insight because, of course, he was following this team uh, in the tournament, which it did end it earlier than we, than we were hoping. But at the same time, I think Justin and Brett, you know, he said he's, Pretty optimistic about the future of this program, just as we are. So, you know, it's always nice to hear
2: from Justin on the show. Yeah, he's he's just a fun guy to chat with any time, but especially when you have a chance to talk through, uh, you know, a, a pretty good plugged in perspective on all things Arizona. Yeah, yeah. So,
1: moving along now, we're going to get to a mailbag in a little bit, but for some of the spring sports, Justin mentioned that too, that they're picking up steam. Let's start with baseball. They've been fine in Chip Hale's first season, eighteen and seven overall. The offense has been really good. Coming off a win over GCU this week, of course they have now. Uh, they go to Washington before going to ASU on April fifth, a Tuesday. Hmm, maybe good after that game. We'll see. But either way, I feel like expectations were reasonably high for baseball in there. You know, they're
2: about meeting them. I'd say up to this point. Yeah, I think. I think. Uh Expectations and reality have uh, largely been met with this this team, where they're not necessarily overperforming, not really underperforming. Outside of that, maybe early season blowout loss to GCU. Yeah, which they they just GCU's actually good. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's not it's not like it's a completely terrible loss, other than what the final score was. But uh, you know, uh, Chase Davis is looking like the star we all hoped he would be. Daniel Susak is is looking good. You know, there's there's a lot to like. I'm I'm kind of curious to see. How the team, you know, in college baseball, maybe more than more than most sports, you know, how you start to develop and end the season, and mm-hmm. especially how your pitchers get if they get hot as you're entering entering uh you know potential for postseason play, that can really dictate what your ceiling and floor is. So, I'm curious to see how that uh, goes over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, of course. But on the flip
1: side, there's on a softball, Caitlin Lowe's first season, not. Not as good. They're 19-10, 0-6 in the conference. They just had a rough go of it against ASU. Got swept by the Sun. That was a no-hit, um, what, was it twice in that series or something? Like, it was just, And you know, one of the no-hitters was by a former player, former Wildcats, so that's always great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's, high expectations is always there for that program, and there's plenty of time to turn things around. They didn't exactly get up to a great start last season either, but the beginning of the Caitlin Lowe era has certainly been a disappointment.
2: Yeah, it's never a good sign when you and I have as many hits as they have had in multiple games against ASU in a in a series, right? Yeah, um, you're getting run ruled by ASU twice in three games. Like that's that's not cool. Yeah, it's you know it's hard to quite put your finger on what the issue is right now, other than the obvious. Well, <laughs> offense. <I> mean, <laughs> obviously, not getting a hit, you're not going to win a lot of games if you don't get a hit. No, but very hard. Um, I, I I say that more in the sense of. I don't think it's for lack of talent. I don't think it's for Caitlin Lowe not knowing the game. No, no. <laughs> um just something is something something is off and and you know hopefully it's something that they can uh find their way to, you know, kind of get out of this funk and start to play a little more like we expect Arizona softball to be.
1: Yeah, like their pitching hasn't been there. Used to the best Arizona teams, the best softball teams have dominant pitchers. Arizona has not gotten that so far this season. Um, the offense, you know, has been inconsistent to say the least. But there is still plenty of time. It's a long season. These spring sports, like, by time we start to turn our attention to spring sports, that's when they're really just getting going in terms of like you have a chance to make things happen. So for both baseball and softball, neither one are off to smoking starts, but there's still time to turn things around. Brett, we sent out a question to our Wildcat Radio Twitter account, at Wildcat Radio AZ, looking for people's thoughts You know, following the season. Arizona basketball ended, what people are thinking about that, maybe what people are thinking about some of the other sports. It's so another mailbag,
2: what do we got? So the first one we got, Adam, was from C.J. O'Neill, at C-T-O-T-H-E-J-12. I'm not sure how to pronounce that otherwise. Uh, any headway on new unis for the basketball team?
1: I, I wish I had concrete answers to this. I mean, I hope so wasn't it didn't Tommy Lloyd say they were looking at that and I feel like Arizona has made an effort to kind of go back to the stuff people like we saw it with football of course I imagine basketball is coming up soon if not next season I would imagine it's in the very near future
2: yeah I mean I think we all would uh hope that you can uh gradually see the gradients phase out <laughs> yeah um you know that that's that's probably the I, they've they've mildly grown on me from me being completely re- repulsed by the gradients to now I just don't like them. <laughs> so, well, the so gradients that's
1: showed up in what the 2016, 2017 season, I think. So yeah. it's been five years with this uniform. So that's usually about as long as they go. I feel like Nike, when it comes to uniform sets in basketball. So I, without any inside information, it would not shock me if Arizona has new uniforms next season. Now I, we get excited about that because it shouldn't be hard to mess up Arizona basketball. Uniforms. Your colors are red, white, and blue, and yet the most recent uniforms. So, You know, they go back to like the 90s uniforms or the ones I don't want to say it was the um, second T.J. McConnell team. The Stanley Johnson year. Those ones are great. Those uniforms were kind of they're similar to the 90s era uniforms, but a slight some tweaks to modernize them. Those were nice uniforms like it's Arizona basketball. It's a premier legacy brand. Keep it simple.
2: (laughs) I, I agree. So hopefully soon,
1: hopefully next season, Arizona has a different look, like actual
2: literal look. Yeah, I don't think it hurts uh, having just been, you know, a number one seed and not completely flaming out in the tournament, even if they didn't go as far as they wanted to, to, to get some more visibility. Yeah. Um, next question, I'm not sure sure is a question so much as a, 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 a long and winding statement, Adam. Okay. Um, Peter Cottontail at Peter in AK. I believe Peter in Alaska is what that is short for. Peter asks uh, or states if you could add a forward five seconds or back five seconds on your radio broadcasts so we can match your game time broadcast with the game on TV. So many games this year just had atrocious announcers. Most games, you guys were about 20 to 30 seconds ahead of the game on TV.
1: Actually, I can relate to that because Brett would text me about stuff during the game and I have Sling TV and he would text me about things before they happen. And I'm like, come on, man, don't do that. So I Peter that's that's not us we don't broadcast the games I mean we could try but I don't think anyone would like that so I like, maybe is that the confusion because we call ourselves wildcat radio and there is like a is there like a, the wildcat radio network maybe is it uh, yeah are we are we are we posing as a broadcast <laughs> I mean I if you listen to us talk while watching a game it probably sounds a lot like a broadcast. We should I mean, do that one time next was, season. We'll just we'll watch the game. And we'll just like talk. We'll just have like a live game broadcast. We'll do like a Twitter room or whatever they call yeah, I was Twitter say Space. We should
2: do that. The Twitter Twitter Spaces either in, either in a game that's going to go really well or really terribly would be the most fun. Yeah, we're, uh, we're pretty enjoyable, especially with a couple of drinks in us. Yeah, well, well, we, I, you know, what are the rules there, Adam? Just planning ahead with the powers that be of. Uh, my increased likelihood in a live conversation of a live game for foul language. I think
1: everything is okay on Twitter. Well, there you go. Right? I I think so. So Peter Cottontail, we're probably not the people you're meaning to read that tweet, but we'll still hook you up. We'll try. (laughs) (laughs) We'll do the best we can.
2: All right. And then our, 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 our final question we received from Brad Denny. Uh, at B Denny 29 friend of the pod, uh, he asks, um, who is the worst member of the Pac-12? I leave all criteria entirely up to you.
1: The easy answer would have been Larry Scott.
2: Still my answer, damn it. Yeah, I feel <laughs>
1: like his impact is still, is still part of the equation. It's lasting. Uh, <laughs> but it, the worst member of the Pac-12. Huh. I know you probably don't like Washington State football, just because you've seen a lot of Arizona games at Wazoo, and they don't seem to go
2: well. <laughs> yeah, but my my wife's parents are professors there, my dad is from the same county, so I have a little bit of affection for for Wazoo and Pullman. Yeah, I mean, I don't really. I mean,
1: the officials, the referees, they're members oh, of the Pac-12, just across easy, all sports.
2: Obvious answer. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the other, the other, the other fun answer I might give you is. Uh, Tad, nay, Sad Boyle, uh, <laughs> just because he's a miserable SOB and hates Arizona.
1: He really does. Yeah, I, I guess coach, coaching-wise, there aren't too many in the Pac-12 who I absolutely despise. Like, Bobby Hurley is enjoyable to watch, especially when he's losing. Um, but Tad Boyle kind of has that edge, too. And we're like, God, you're just annoying. Just stop. Like, Ooh,
2: I, I have another good answer, Adam. Uh, Utah fans in any sport in general. <laughs> I don't mind them. Oh, man. I don't yeah, know how much I you've don't... interacted with them.
1: Probably not much, actually.
2: <laughs> run, run the Twitter handle for a few games. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's fair. Like, we have different life experience when it comes to Utah fans. But, you know, one thing we could think about, though, is like if Arizona football gets to be respectable, nay, even good, and Arizona basketball keeps doing what it's doing, there's going to be a lot more fans who do not like the University of Arizona. You know, so prepare for that. Um, yeah. I mean, is the ESPN considered a member of the Pac-12? I was going to say, is,
2: is the Pac-12 network considered a member of the Pac-12? <laughs> Depends on what service provider you have. <laughs> As a DirecTV customer, it is the worst <laughs> member. Oh, man. <sighs> Good question, though.
1: But I think the, the answer is always changing. It's very fluid. So thanks, Brad, <laughs> got, for that one.
2: I got a lot of problems with you Pac-12 members. The airing <laughs> of grievances is upon us. <laughs>
1: Uh, this is what happens with the mail. So everyone, appreciate you submitting your questions. As always, you know, occasionally we'll put them out on the Twitter at Wildcat Radio AZ. But anytime you just have a question you want answered, hit us up. You know, you can find Brett at Brett D Barry. I'm the Adam Green on Twitter. You know, just ask us, and we'll you know if it's a reasonable question, we'll throw it on the air for you um otherwise way to get your voice heard on the air is leave us a review on itunes if you do we will read that on the air of course if you're on itunes make sure you subscribe to the podcast you can do it also on spotify we like it when you subscribe that's fun for us um otherwise brett spring football is continuing on we are probably going to be down at the spring game on the ninth. so we'll do one show before then but you know be mindful of that you might catch up with the wildcat radio 2.0 hosts down there in tucson at arizona stadium for what should be a fun afternoon of fake football.
2: Not even fake football. Just practice. Football practice. You know, I I was I was thinking about it, Adam, it's gonna be in the middle of the afternoon. I may go full uh, Kerr Carissa cosplay since it's gonna be hot and wear my Arizona bucket hat with my vintage Steve Kerr jersey. that yeah. nobody will know the difference and just <laughs> it just be that guy for the whole spring game. So
1: so that's something to look forward to of course the spring sports will keep on rolling. But I
2: think Brett that just about does it for our show, right? I think we, we think we covered it.
1: I think that's it. So, everyone, have yourselves a very nice weekend. And remember to bear down. Bear down.